Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty Road listeners. Excited to have you guys here with us today for a really special treat, an ice cream treat, actually. We are here with Jenny Britton, the founder of Jenny's Ice Cream. And as cheesy as it is to say, I have no doubt this is going to be a very sweet, sweet uh, interview. I've had some time to spend with Jenny in the past, and her story is incredible. Her commitment to her creativity is incredible. And it'll be interesting to hear her talk about how that's changed as she's moved into her 40s. Jenny, welcome. Welcome to Liberty Road. Hi, it's so great to be here with you today. I'm, I'm excited to have you. So for those few people who don't know what Jenny's ice cream is, can you just give us a little background? Yeah, so I, um, I studied art. I came from the art world. My grandmother was an art teacher growing up and I always thought I'd be an artist but when I was in art school at Ohio State University in the 1990s I had this idea that ice cream was really all about scent and so I started making ice cream at home and within a few months I literally walked out of art class and went and opened a small ice cream stand in an indoor public market and that was in 1996. I was in business with Scream ice cream for four years and I closed that kind of regrouped, figured out what I was doing right and what I was doing wrong. And then I opened Jenny's in 2001, really from my apartment. But I was back in the market by 2002 with Jenny's ice creams. And we make ice creams with farmer's market ingredients. I mean, I spent 10 years boots on the ground in the market before we started growing. And so a lot of those growers are still our growers today. Uh, But now we have 60 plus stores across the United States. We are really known for our service. It isn't just ice cream. It's really about community. It starts with love and creativity. We always say we're a creative-led, community-spirited company. So it really is for us how we do things. And for me, that comes from, well, it really comes from art. And it comes from the market, from the North Market, which is the sort of farmer's market that I spent so much time in. So that's who we are to... My sister lives in Columbus and I've been to that market and that was the first time I had Jenny's ice cream. My 18 year old was two. So it was a, it was a bit ago. Yeah. Well, I probably served you. Maybe, maybe wouldn't that have been fun? I mean, I was there every day during those years. I mean, for literally for 10 years. You know, it's funny, and normally I don't give shout outs to other podcasts because we want everybody to listen to this one, but you go into great detail on your podcast, How I Built This with Guy Raz, and I encourage people, especially uh, as you talk about some of the hardships and and the things you had to overcome, we're going to talk about that a little bit here, but we're going to focus on you more in this interview. But it's it's one worth listening to because it was it's very inspiring, and we're going to hit on and what that particular hardship was a little bit here. But what sort of changed between Scream and Jenny's? What was the thing that you were sort of correcting, whether it's in yourself or in the recipe or the way you did the business? It was a lot, but it it can sort of be summed up in this idea that I was still thinking too much, maybe if you think of it like a spectrum between art and business, I was definitely too much on the art side. So I thought of myself like an artist, like I could come to the market and make whatever flavor was in, you know, inspiring me that day and that people would be kind of excited just to see what, what I was doing today. And it might sound like a good idea. It sounded like a good idea to me back then, whatever was available in the market and whatever the whim was, whatever even things that were happening in pop culture I could react to through ice cream. But, um, but the truth was people weren't interested in that. And I couldn't figure that out. But after I closed Scream, I went to like a coffee shop. I tell the story a lot, but it's such a moment for me. I went to this coffee shop and they were like out of this orange scone that they made. And it was like the only reason I was even there. And I stood in this long line on Saturday. It was going to be my whole morning just drinking coffee, eating this scone. I got up to the front and they were like, yeah, we're out of that. 
and they didn't care. And that was the mm. worst part for me. I thought, how can you not care about that? Like, that's the only reason I'm here. And I left, I didn't stay. I, I left. And I remember as I walked through that, like walked out the door through that threshold, I thought, holy cow, like I was doing that to all of my customers mm. at Scream. This was after I closed Scream and kind of between Jennings and Scream. And I realized that like the only thing that brings me back to any business, it doesn't matter what it is, even if it's a doctor's office or CVS or, you know, Nordstrom is what I had last time. And if it's good enough and, and craveable enough, then I'll come back. Maybe you can change my mind after I get there, but I'm here for what I had last time. And that changed everything for me. So then I immediately started working on my plan. I feel, felt like I had figured it all out. The other thing more personal for me though, is that with that realization too, came this idea of like uh, being the character, being the person you want to buy ice cream from. So at Scream, I was kind of punky artist. I mean, I had vintage clothes, vintage aprons, always just kind of goofy. At Jenny's, I just decided that I was going to take emphasis off of me, actually, and put it on the ice cream. Mm. So I started wearing a white shirt every day, a white apron, which I woke up and ironed every day. I wore the same outfit for like 10 years straight. It was it was black jeans and a white shirt, and uh, usually either clogs or uh, hiking boots. I used to work in um, a lot because I was on my feet, like, and for some reason they worked best for me. But anyway, I wore that outfit for like 10 years. I just took all emphasis off of me and put it on the work, our customers listening to getting feedback and really to being a person that you would trust to make your ice cream. And I think that those things kind of made all the difference ultimately in the end. It's interesting as I'm listening, I'm thinking of so many people, so many businesses, mine including, that can take that wisdom and apply it. Whether it's social media and like showing up consistently showing up as the same person who's giving a similar kind of advice or within a certain industry or within a certain tone. One of the things that you continue to do, and I've commented to you about this before, is your stories, your good morning pictures, the way they look, the way you're dressed. There's something so consistent about it. And yes, it's you. The emphasis is on you this time. But it's like, we know what to expect. And we know that we're going to get this little bit of Jenny every morning. Well, I also moved into a time of my life where I can, um, I almost feel like I've earned this, like, okay, now if I want to have pink hair, now, of course, I could do it at any time of my life, but the kind of service that I offer now to the world is a very different thing than when I was younger, you know, back when I couldn't paint my nails because I was working in the kitchen, right? I couldn't wear earrings. I don't have my ears pierced, actually, but like, um, I have now a whole a whole collection of clip-ons. So now I'm in this time where like the service that I'm offering is more inspiration and activation. And I can say like, you can do what I did, which is to start small and build. And that is a very different me. It's, it's the same me, but it's a different me showing up every day in that way. I can show that how important color is. And now to me, my role is in, is in managing our creative uh, processes and themes and flavors but not in daily production and daily service over the counter. And so it's communicating the values of Jenny's out to the world and then also my own values. So I have moved into a time where I find so much joy in fashion. I wouldn't even say fashion in like clothes, in textures, in sort of sensorial experience. And I can show that to the world and that fuels to the work that I still do at Jenny's. But, you know, I could not have done this earlier because I needed to send that, set that foundation. And that took a full decade. If it had been like it is now more about me and my perspective, nobody would have cared. It really had to be. And I had to put in that time of learning about our customers, finding what I do and what I, what my passion is and where that meets up with what other people need and want and desire. And it took a really long time to figure that out. And once I did and started to offer that really consistently and that beautiful sort of wheel started turning, then I got to this place where I can just live it, you know, be, be a different yeah. version of me or express a different version of me that always. I'm glad you me. just said that. Cause I was going to say it was you all along. It was just these different iterations of you given what the business needed at the time. And the black jeans and the white shirt and the clogs, we still would have identified you. Oh, it's the fun blondes at the other side of the counter. Yeah. Yeah. You would have come to me and you would have heard from me 
just poetry. I would have been explaining the ice creams. I would have been giving you tastes. I would have literally been jumping over the counter. The last thing on earth I wanted you to notice was what I was wearing. Mm. I wanted to talk to you. I wanted to transport you. I wanted you to taste the ice cream. And I didn't want to be the center here. I wanted it to be in the, in the space between us as human beings. And, uh, and I still want that. It's just that now I express that through color and things like that and forest and poetry, literal poetry. Tell me about the poetry. Like, again, there are listeners who have businesses or want to have businesses that aren't necessarily what one would consider poetic. No one goes into ice cream thinking it's poetic. And yet somehow you made it poetic. How? What do you mean when you say that? I could answer this from a whole bunch of points of view. I think about poetry a lot. I read poetry Unfortunately, I don't write it very well, but I, I incorporate the sort of method in everything I do, and which is, to me, it's about removing excess. Mm. Anything that you're doing that is even one drop too much is taking emphasis off of where you want the focus, whether it's personally for you or for someone else. So I think that way when I'm creating an ice cream, if there's anything extra here, it's taking focus away from what we should be, what we want people to taste and experience. The same thing is true when I write the sides of the pints, which I still do. If there's even an extra word, even if that word is something like and, if there's a, an extra word, it's taking emphasis off of what we want you to experience. I think the same thing about color, maybe what I'm wearing, maybe what I'm doing. The other thing, when it comes to business, uh, which I have so much fun with coming from art, and when I think of art, I think of, of communication and expression. So that includes poetry and uh, music and all sorts, and, you know, quartz painting and, and illustration, which is where I came from. But the word creativity also means, one of my definitions of it is efficiency. And poetry is efficiency. It's an efficiency of resources. And that literally is the definition of business. The definition of finance, for instance, could be, or even business, could be removing complexity. And so what we want to do as poets, you know, get those stories across in the most efficient way possible. Anyway, so I think about it a lot. It really is almost a lens through which I see everything. There is a whole book there. I mean, business as poetry. If we write poetry, because really ultimately poetry is about communication and inspiring and activating and love and all of those things. If we think of business in that through that lens, just think about what we can create. It sounds like... Um... A feminine voice has to create that. So maybe that's you. I just, I definitely have protected my femininity all along. And I do think that there is a very powerful sort of force in femininity that is uh, maybe very seriously ignored in our culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also masculinity too. And I, and I value that as well. But I come from a nature point of view for both of those and everything in between. Mm-hmm. And all of us have different sort of cocktail of that in us versus our cultural femininity and masculinity, which to me almost have nothing to do with what it is in nature. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think and have exercised a sort of very feminine, I think, power, even behind the scenes in my business and with my business partners who are very, I would say, culturally masculine. This yeah. is all stuff that we can unpack. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. I want to unpack that a little bit. But could you give us a feminine and a masculine example in nature? Like when you say that, I want us to have more context. I think that 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 femininity, let's say, when it comes to protection, yeah, is extremely powerful, right? Or even when it comes to like love, and and both femininity, and masculinity are powerful on that from that perspective. But when you think about femininity, it's about to me, anyway, it is about that sort of enveloping, shielding, you know, mom instinct. Whereas for masculinity, it might be more of an aggression, an outward aggression. Mm-hmm. Both are perfect counterpoints to each other. They work really well together, I think, in nature. And uh, and I don't know, you know, I'm not like um, uh, an anthropologist or whatever, but like the the men that I know and actually, frankly, are attracted to and, and are... Are, are very masculine in that way from nature. And I really love how femininity and, and masculinity play together when it's like that. I don't love, in our culture, masculinity means control, yeah. power. Mm. And femininity means softness, which I think is part of it, but it means uh, um, subservience, right? Going along with things, giggling and smiling in meetings instead of saying what you want to say. And I think that that those are all cultural. So 
I'm still in my life learning about how masculinity and femininity are wonderful together. And I think you have to go deep and very, you know, back very far to find those things. Sure. I want to talk about that more within the context of your business and your experience. But first, I have to ask you, did you know in launching Scream or Jenny's that your goal was always to be an entrepreneur? Did you always want to do your own thing? I did because uh, even from the time, I mean, I, I don't remember ever not, not feeling like I wanted to control my life. And I mean, from the time I was in kindergarten, I didn't like standing in line. I didn't like doing what they wanted me to do. I just remember so much like I want to be a grown up in, in control of my experience on earth. I remember too that my grandparents on both sides really instilled in me this idea that you can do whatever you want in America, that you can be whoever you want to be. And especially as a woman, my, my, my grandmothers who were both incredibly independent and fierce, both said it's different for you than it was for me understand that mm. and know that like, you know, in America, you can do whatever you want. You can be whatever you want to be. And it just was, was put in me. And so then I was just like, why would I ever want to work for someone else? Why would I ever want to do that? I mean, I was, I really was brought up by this very artistic perspective, this wild nature perspective. Um, we, we spent a lot of time outside. And so I think that was just in me from the very beginning. So I knew that I needed to work for myself. And then once I got a job, I mean, I got a job when I was 15, my first job, I had been babysitting a lot before that, but I had my first boss and I loved it. I loved working on teams. I loved being in that environment. I became myself through service. I absolutely loved working so much more than school, but I also knew in that experience that I needed to be the one who started the company, who was training everybody, not the one who was working there. So it just was always in me. So when I got to college, I was looking for what am I going to do? Is it going to be in, through art? which is kind of what I thought, or pastry, which was something I pursued for a while. Should I have a bakery? And then ice cream kind of hit. Why? Did you love ice cream or did you just know how to make it and expand it on that? Well, I did love ice cream. My first job was in an ice cream shop. I, I did love ice cream from the time I was very young. I mean, obviously, a lot of us love ice cream. But in the Midwest, in particular, ice cream is like an event. Yeah. And you do it, you do it <laughs> different times during the week. So it's like Friday night, whether you win or lose the game, you go for ice cream. Yeah. You know, if you want to hang out with your friends, you go hang out in the ice cream parking lot. In the evenings at my grandmother's house, I, I used to spend a lot of time at my grandparents' house. And in the evenings, they would always eat ice cream. So, you know, you might have it twice a day in the Midwest. Um, this is just something that is constantly around. I didn't even think of it as a dessert. I just thought of it as like a, a given. It's not even like my favorite dessert, you know, but I'd had it so much. and I knew how people interacted with it and I knew how people used, used ice cream, how they sort of came to the counter and saw a little bit of themselves in ice cream. And so I knew my first job would be at an ice cream shop. I always wanted to do that. And I did. It just happened to open in my neighborhood, which literally is not very far from where I'm sitting right now. But I was not thinking that I would go into that because I really didn't think of it as that big of a deal. Yeah. I wanted to do something more, I don't know, pastry-like or something, you know? But when I realized that ice cream was about scent, because I'd been studying scent, actually, I wanted to be a perfumer. That was the other thing I was looking at. I was actually dating this really cute French guy, this Parisian guy who was 26 and I was 18 and like, oh my God, he was adorable. And he was studying scent at Ohio State. And so it really like clicked in me because I'd spent so much time in the forest and all of those scents were just so fresh to me. And I knew how scent could transport me. So when I realized that like vanilla bean, coffee, rose petal, they, they're all scents. And you can put those in ice cream and actually butter fat, the fat that's in milk, melts below body temperature. So you can, you know, load it up with scent, freeze it. And as soon as it hits your tongue, it melts and releases that scent immediately. So I, I figured that part of it out and then added that with to all of the information that I already knew about ice cream. And I was like, this is beautiful. This is where I need to stay and, and work and be. And this is the sort of service that I can provide the world or whatever. It seems like those are still fundamentally part of Jenny's in the flavors and the, the sense that you create. Very much. And the thing is too, is that I probably uh, have sort of attention deficit, you know, I mean, I think now I would have been diagnosed with that as a, as a young person, but it's worked really well for me in all of this. Mm -hmm. But what has happened, if people think that I'm not a focused person, and in many ways I'm not. However, when it comes to this, this thing that I am so tied to that I just 
know that there is so much potential for, not in business, but yes, but more in like inspiring people. And I just know that so deeply and I see it so clearly that I've been able to 100% focus my life on this for 26 years. So it is kind of interesting to me that like, gosh, this is a long, long time to stay so focused, so excited about something, uh, especially for a person that when I was growing up, nobody would have thought I would have been able to focus, you know, for five minutes on anything. <laughs> and even now. So one of the things that you and I have talked about is kind of in your business progression and given the the platform and the focus of this podcast, really talking about women 40 and up in midlife who were really kind of embracing what this season offers them as it applies towards business or launching any creative endeavor. Tell me about if you look back at kind of prior to 40 and now you're well into your 40s, if you look back at those two seasons of Jenny, the founder of Jenny's Ice Cream, the way you interact with your team, the even the flavors you create, the way you interact with people, what's changed? What do you bring to the table now that you didn't before? Well, in those early days, and I mean like maybe the first 20 years, I was in the trenches with everybody. And in fact, it was a whole maybe season um, learning to show up differently, show up as a leader, I would say, versus somebody in the trenches. It's still hard for me actually today. My nature is to want to jump in with the team and help. And I talk to founders a lot about this now, that when you walk into a room as the founder of the company, you um, you have a different presence. People want that from life. We want to be able to see our leaders behaving uh, as leaders and kind of owning that space and also through that power of love and and, and all of that. So I've, I've had to learn about that. It's taken some time and, um, and I've had a, a coach who really, a couple of coaches who've been really amazing and kind of helped me understand that. But once it kind of clicked with me, I was off and running. Like I do feel like I can do this in my unique way, mm-hmm. be a sort of loving, inspiring leader at a different level now. And it is because of everything that has gone into making me, me in all of this time and all of the thought and reflection that has come with experience. So I'm ready for it. And I think that I'm, it's all sort of transition. You know, I mean, I'm trying to write a book right now and, and struggling with that, you know, am I actually ready to put this down? Maybe I'm not yet, you know, and, and when I, when I am, it'll all come out. Yeah. But, but that's, I think what's different is that I'm learning and really showing up as, as that, that leader versus uh, somebody who just wants to be in doing that um, beautiful work and serving others. I can serve others uh, now from a different place. It brings me back to what you said earlier about the feminine. And so I can imagine you being very much a protector of the people and the brand and the process. Yes, and, and I will tell you, that things. is not to say in any way that that is, um, or let me just say, that is powerful. Mm. My blood can run very cold and I can be an absolute pit bull when it comes to protecting what I love and what I build, built and the people involved in that. And I think that a lot of my business partners and people in my life 100% see that. So as I can talk about love and that absolute, um, just, I mean, I love that I feel for the people in my life and, uh, and that includes all the people at Jenny's and, and, and the people we serve. It's a lot of people know too, that I don't think that that is a passive yeah. thing. It's actually quite, yeah. um, aggressive a lot and it's definitely active. So I will absolutely, you know, it's that sort of like, mm, you know, the lioness or whatever, yeah. protect, that. And I think that's part of the beauty of what I think, you know, sort of a natural femininity is. So you've talked a lot about bringing partners in. Tell us, kind of walk us through when you brought partners in, like what was the first time you brought one or two and to what extent they were partners? Was it financial or were they involved in decision-making and how did that feel to have somebody sort of in your space? So I've always thought of, or I don't know when I started thinking about this, but in the beginning of Jenny's at some point that I, Actually, I love the word company versus the word business because company means Mm. people. It means you're not alone. I um, love to say that my favorite business book is the Lord of the Rings movies. So thinking about fellowship and, um, and that idea that like in like 
Tolkien Fellowship, everybody kind of brings in their awesomeness from very different places. And then together, they make something greater than the sum of its parts, the Fellowship of the Ring. And in our case, it's Jenny's. So if you think about building your business in that way, your company in that way, it's really about company. It's about who you're surrounding yourself with. And so I started to think like, well, I know that I'm going to be doing this, this sort of creative and service work here, both serving the people who work at Jenny's and the people over the counter and our um, suppliers and makers and growers and all of that. So who do I need on this fellowship around the table with me? And I knew that I needed somebody who was going to care for the business, who was going to, mm. when I say business, I mean the unemotional parts of it, the, the process, the behind the scenes machinery that protects our resources and enables us to do our work. And so that was kind of the way I started thinking about it. Well, then I started working backward from if I want to have a CEO or a chief operations officer or a CFO, chief financial officer, how much money do I need to make to get to that point? And it isn't just we need to be this big of a company. It's that we need to have a vision that is something that someone can get behind. And so that was really what I started working toward in the early 2000s. And then by 20, let's say 2009, we were able to bring in a CEO. His name is John. And, uh, and I knew him before he worked at he had been in Columbus, but then he went off and worked at GE. And I was like, oh man, this is like the only person that I know who like is in the professional world who would have any idea of like who I could hire for this position. So I called him and he was like, well, hang on, maybe that's me. And it ended up being him. Wow. And so he and I kind of have worked together over the last decade, a little more than that, as what we like to say, a two-headed monster. It hasn't been perfect and it never would be. And I didn't expect it to be. But now I have a lot of time where I can sort of reflect, you know, one of the questions that I ask myself now is, well, what if I had nothing to say about him, nothing to do with him, but what if I had trusted myself to be CEO? You know, why didn't I trust myself? I thought I was making the best moves for the company. And, you know, very possibly I was, but nevertheless, I, I, I would say, I think it was smart for me to do that. But I would put out there that also I really didn't consider myself for that role. And I would say if I was looking back, I would definitely be thinking about that now. It isn't as hard as people want to make it seem. Sure. Um, I think I would have needed some really amazing coaching back then and I wouldn't have known where to found, find that. But if I'd had that like I do now, it would have been uh, a little different. So now I like to work with founders and help connect them to coaches. To see if they sort of have the resources within them. To, to take on those roles? Yeah. Was it a function of, I don't know what I'm doing in the financial, or was it a function of, I'm doing so many other things, I need someone to take this? Off it was, um, I don't have time yeah. to learn about this, and I don't want to learn about it. Yeah. I want to do this, and I need someone who I trust implicitly to take that on. And that happened, and that was good. But what I've learned over all this time is that Actually, it's not that complicated. You know, being a CEO is about putting the right people in the right spots yep. and about inspiring yep. people. It isn't about knowing every single detail of everything. And of course, and really importantly, being a CEO, and this is what I was going to hand off, this is what I wanted to hand off to him, ultimately is about the health of the company. Are you caring for and taking responsibility for every single thing that happens in this company? And I think... I think I could have done that. Now, I, I, I don't think that I made the wrong move, but sure. I just, you know, I, I question whether I was right in, in saying, I know that I'm not right for that because maybe I would have been good for that. I want other founders to be at least thinking about that. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you should do it or are the right person for that role, but uh, I didn't even consider it. No, I appreciate that. And unfortunately, uh, women in particular, as I came from the consulting worlds and consulted many female founders, that's one thing that they will hand off is the financials. Whether it's CFO or kind of that top CEO, like I really want somebody else to do this. I just want to play in the space that I'm really good at. And um, no one cares more than you. And you might be good at it. You might be better at it than you think. So I appreciate both that you said, I don't think I necessarily made the wrong move, but I didn't consider myself in the running and perhaps I should have. Yes. And looking back, I see it. You know, I see that I can relate art and creativity and poetry to finance. I fundamentally yeah. understand efficiency, 
efficiency of resources, not wasting anything, including talent and love and all of the really great resources that we have. If you can just kind of think about, you know, find your way in and then find your partners on that journey, whether it's a chief financial officer or a CEO. But I would say that whoever you bring into that needs to share a sort of, you got to be on kind of the same frequency of communication and you absolutely have to share the same vision and stay in constant communication uh, because that kind of respect for each other is so important. And you guys, I don't know if that was prior to 2009 when you brought him in, John in full time. It was in 2009. Okay. But the expansion of Jenny, both in the number of stores, and then I don't know when you started doing direct to consumer, but people could now ship. I had shipped ice cream as a gift. 2004. Okay. So that was before that. So this kind of multi-platform business had been running and and in some ways before its time. Direct to consumer in 2004, that's pretty impressive. And then in, you're in stores as well. Yeah, so we, we started our website in 2004 and started in grocery in like 2007 uh, with like Dean DeLuca and some of the sort of yeah. um, high-end, smaller, um, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. But, but yeah, we had this uh, omni-channel company with like, a very small team. And uh, at the time it was me and my brother-in-law, Tom, who was like a doer, just an amazing doer and, uh, and, and, and super smart. And then my husband at the time, Charlie, who is also incredibly smart, but very analytical. And all three of us kind of worked together in very different, like, we worked together well, well, because we were very, very different. Yeah. But one thing that none of us kind of wanted to take on was that sort of high level you know, um, management of the company. And so we knew we, we needed that, but because of that three channel and not only that, but we were doing all of our art and design production. We're almost like several different businesses within a business, even today. I mean, even more so today. So you take all this on, had you guys brought in financing at this point? No, we were all SBA. And I just want to put a point on that because I believe so much that that business, small business, starting businesses, especially for women, people of color, we need to be starting businesses and growing them. But but importantly, if we can, hold on to that equity, hold yeah. on to power, because once you give that up, first of all, once you give that up, you're basically working for somebody else. And that's not what any of us really got into this for in the first place. But also that's your power as you grow. And that's what's going to shift the dynamic, the power dynamic in America over time in the long game. So it was all SBA. And I really hope that we can continue to build uh, and kind of rebuild the SBA. I'm excited for the work that's happening now. And as we move through COVID, can sort of direct some federal policies toward business creation. And I know that that's happening now. And I work a little bit in that space. And, and it's really exciting. But but yeah, so we took on partners um, a little later. And that was, and they, they're awesome too. And I just want to say, because I think this is really important. Um, Jenny is putting her money where her mouth is with regard to this SBA kind of movement and passion behind it. And I know that our government has a lot going on right now. And so that's not all going full force, but that you have been committed to being a voice in that space around SBA and making those connections and really understanding policies that need to change so that we can open those doors. We have a president who loves ice cream. Yeah, <laughs> loves your ice cream in particular. Yeah, I mean, not that I can call him like, like that, but I mean, he knows what I feel about this. And, uh, and I know that he uh, also cares deeply about Main Street across America. Yeah. 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 He's got a lot going on right now. So I alluded to the Guy Raz episode and people can unpack this a little bit more, but you went through a pretty monumental sort of hiccup, I would say, in the company. Can you tell us just briefly about that? Yeah. I mean, it was a death and rebirth. It was more than a hiccup, I think. Yeah. Uh, and, and also led to that person on a personal level for me too. So in 2015, a pint of our ice cream in Lincoln, Nebraska was found to have listeria in it. That was sort of a random test from the local um, health authorities. And it threw our company, of course, into a tailspin because we uh, obviously didn't want to get that call, but we knew that we needed to act, act very, very quickly to hopefully prevent an outbreak 
so we did. We recalled everything out in the world of our ice cream. 265 tons of ice cream came back oh my gosh. to us, and we sent it to an anaerobic digester to become power for homes, which was sort of cool. But in the meantime, uh, it decimated our company. So we did prevent any outbreak. Not one person got sick. You know, it was the right move to make absolutely... And I want to say, too, that we were flying high at that point. Like, we had this incredible collection uh, based on colors from Matisse's exhibition at MoMA. We were all over, like, kind of the darlings of media at the moment. You know, we were just having a lot of fun. We felt kind of unstoppable. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it comes to a screeching halt. Yeah. So we were going into summer, and we had no ice cream. And not only that, but we had to figure out where this listeria was coming from. And we just learned a lot about listeria. Now, just before then, even in March, we had had three third-party inspections of our space. We felt very confident in our facility, but still it happened. It got through. So eventually we figured out where it was coming from. It was a hairline crack under the sink. We also learned more about listeria. And it's a very interesting thing. It sort of bounces around. It's kind of like a ghost. And you really have to, if you're in food production think of yourself in battle with it every single day. So even to this day, we have, uh, we, that's how we operate and all of our partners. But anyway, so yeah, we decimated our company. We had nothing, we had to start to rebuild and it was kind of crazy. We um, ended up coming out of it because we started to, I started, it really was like kind of the way I was thinking. I thought of us kind of like artisanal, like we have to make everything in our kitchen. And then all the ice cream makers, the wonderful ice cream makers across the country were started reaching out to me like, let us help you. Can we make your oh ice cream? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I goosebumps thinking about yeah. it right now. And I was like, no, you can't because like, we're like, so, you know, and then I was like, well, wait a minute. Why, why can't we use the equipment at Smith Dairy in Ohio? They supply our milk anyway. Can we go up there and use their equipment to make our ice cream? And that was sort of changed everything because then it was like, yeah, we can. And, and we sent teams up there. I went up there. We, we learned about their equipment. It was actually way better than ours. Anyway, so it sets off this whole other thing. And it, we, it, we were just like, wow. I mean, it ended up making us a more efficient, better company and actually making our quality a lot better. But uh, we still had to come back to life. Back to the, the poetry and the efficiency and the company, the use of the word company versus business, how you were able to sort of bring in these other partners. And what a gift and a testament to that community, that food community, and to who you were in that community. I now know that you don't know, you know, we thought we were pretty great, but like you don't know who you are until you're tested, till your values are tested, and then you come out with them still intact. And so that was just everything for our company. I mean, we didn't think we would survive it. We just were like at that place where it's like, you know what? Fight like hell because why not? It's either that or death. Yeah. And interestingly too, as a person, it was very interesting. I was kind of played as this like greedy person in the media, you know, or something like that. You know, it was like yeah. the media kind of turned against me for a little bit. Therefore, everybody in my community, I'm one of the most well-known people in this community in Columbus, Ohio, if not the most well-known in when I leave my house, I go to work and I, um, you know, if I'm at the store, I'm ready to serve and and love people because people come up to me all the time. And if I'm out at dinner or whatever, and for a couple of years, it was just whispers and rumors and, you know, I just didn't feel good leaving my house. So I, Mm. I went into this really kind of dark place as a human being. I really couldn't leave my home for a long time and ended up becoming a rebirth of my own over the last few years. Wow. That's um, intense. Was that a sort of, you're not allowed to be big. We don't have celebrities in Columbus. Like that's not okay. That's not a Midwest mentality. What was that? It it was that it was sort of like, um, yeah, getting too big for what, you know, yes, it's that Midwestern, like we don't, we don't grow, which is just bullshit. I mean, we do. Yeah. And we do dream big here. Yeah. But they love that, like, teardown story. Um, and also, I do think that there were a couple of journalists here who, I, there were a lot of really great ones, too, who got the story right and fair. And, you know, it was hard either way. But there was a, a, at least one journalist who kind of wanted to make her mark nationally. Hmm. And really wanted this to be a big national story to get her on, you know, national and, uh, and it was just wrong. And the other thing about it is that the, F- the FDA is just an interesting organization. They 
they control the story and you have no voice when you're in this kind of situation. And so whatever they say kind of has to live and you just kind of have to get through it. And so I didn't have a voice. Our company didn't have a voice. I ended up writing this blog post, which I call the 14 minute blog post. And man, that, that got us in big trouble too with the FDA, but it lived out there and, and people could see our perspective at least. But yeah, no, it's intense. Yeah. But I also say like, again, you would never wish crisis on no. your worst enemy, whether it's a business or a person. You just never, you wouldn't. You don't want anyone to have to go through that because you know it's very hard And if you've been through it. However, it also truly is the best thing that can happen to you. It's the strangest thing. I needed to have that. And I'm so happy now. And I'm, I'm so appreciative and I value everything in a way that... Um, I could never have understood before this. That came from it. What was the relationship with the partners through that? So your brother-in-law, your husband at the time, and John. Well, honestly, we were all just trying to get through yeah. the best we could in the little spaces. It was good because we, I, I really went deep and focused on how do we tell the story? How do we come out of this? And I was working on our recipes. And I know John was working hard with the FDA and, and just getting resources and finance. I mean, we were just on fumes. Um, and so we needed ev- like everybody firing on all yeah. cylinders. And I know that, that Tom and Charlie were just working on just getting stuff done. So, so it was a testament to the idea that like fellowship is about everybody doing something very different and together making something greater than the sum of our parts. We didn't have to, at this point, we were still meeting every day, but we didn't have to go through everything we were all working on because we trusted each other. And we knew that, uh, that, that we were all doing what was right from our own places. Yeah. So many people would have called it a day and said, that was a great run. This is the end. I'm out. You obviously didn't, you found it within yourself to get through that season. What changed when you went back, whether it was in the way you ran the business, the kind of leader you were, the way you kind of fought for the company amongst even the other partners. What changed? What did you bring to the table in a new way after that? I, I would just say that like, I, I've always been very deeply I don't know, associated with the company and, and I felt this connection mm-hmm. with the company. I think of our company, not as an idea, but as human beings mm-hmm. and, and also an idea um, and a vision. Yeah. But I think that it really made me a, a, an intense fighter for who we are and what we stand for in a way that like maybe I wouldn't have been so much before. And also really believing in the future that we have. And I just mean ice cream. Like what can ice cream, how can ice cream bring people together and how can we set the stage for that? And what's my role within that? And I, I feel like just so tied to it and I don't ever want to leave that. And I think a lot of founders this long into their companies are happy to go do something else or sit on a beach or whatever you, you know, yeah. is, is good for you. And I just don't want that. I may still start something else, but I never want to be uh, disconnected from Jenny's. I, I have a true love for it. It's obvious. It's obvious that it's a passion. So many of our listeners are over 40 and either in the throes of launching something themselves or considering it and listening to this very podcast to be inspired, to get some nuggets of wisdom from you. What do you want to say to those women out there who are thinking about launching something after 40 and who may even begin to think that they've missed the boat, they're not digitally sort of native enough to understand how to deal with social media and all all the things who might feel a little irrelevant even. What do you want to say to those women? I mean, I would just say, think of starting a company as starting a community. You do not have to be online at all. You can do that in person still. You don't have to, you know, follow the biggest trends going on in the world right now. You just have to like be able to build a community around something that you and others care about. So finding that place where what you love to do uh, matches up with what other people need or want. And there's value in the middle of that. So you figure out how you can be of value to other people. 40s is a really good time to start something because we have tons of energy. We've got a lot of experience. 
Absolutely give your instinct and your um, intuition its due because you have, uh, I think of it like instinct is like atomic level patterning, right? So you can't describe it to somebody. It's so, it's, it's based on just millions of atomic little things that, that come together to make a pattern, but you know, in your heart, what's the right step to make. And then you learn from that one step and then you'll learn from the next step. And that just, and that just becomes even greater, powerful instinct, each step. Um, and then I would just say too, when you do something that's different, if you're going to uh, start a company, you, you, you've got to be thinking differently, not just doing what other people are doing. Sure. And when you have that kind of original thinking, it's hard because people kind of come after you. People want to make you feel like you can't do it or whatever. So in that, I would just say, claim every step, own it in your body. Just, this is the step I'm making today. Not necessarily the big vision, have that in your, in your scope. But like, I just feel like you just got to claim every step because, and hold on to it. Uh, because if you're doing something original there, you know, you're going to have people who don't want you to do it. And I would say, especially in our forties, because people think they know us by now. Right. And they don't want us to change and they don't want us to show up in a way that's different from what they want or what they need or what they expect, the standards that they have. And so you've just got to do it one step at a time, but you absolutely can. And it is a perfect time to, and again, it just goes back to, there are so many of us who will support each other. You just have to find those people and start building slowly from there. That's your community that you'll build. You have kind of mentioned maybe still being a part of Jenny's and that being something that will always be, but also really considering something that could be next for you as somebody who is squarely in her 40s, will be in her 50s soon. Like, how will you approach starting a company or a community differently? I think if I was going to do something else, I would be thinking, I'd be, some, I would be thinking very similarly because I like the idea of starting small and building. I like the idea of thinking, how can I make one person really happy? And then how can I make two people really happy? I mean, so I don't think that I'll be like launching a big company or, you know, trying to do that, but I might do something that's on a bigger scale or like that has a, you know, that has some bigger stage, you know, just have a big dream attached to it. But I think it will always be back to me. Like, how can I solve this problem for someone? And also starting with me, this is a problem I have and I can solve it. And if I can solve it for me, who else? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, the, the pivot in the podcast was because I wanted to hear more stories from women who were over 40. It was in some ways very selfish and I couldn't find a lot of those. That's such a good way to think about um, a business is like, what do I need right now? What would I love to have right now? Whether it's like something that's inspiring or something that's practical, what do I need? What do I wish existed in the world? And then make that. Um, Jenny, what has launching this endeavor taught you about yourself? Well, uh, now too, I can look back over 26 years and say, without question, it's taught me that my instinct was nearly always right. Of course, not always, but like, I can now say this to you, to anybody, um, and also to young people who for sure don't trust their instincts, that the more you trust your body, that what your body is telling you where you want to move before your brain, don't use your brain as much, you know, let your um, intuition, your heart kind of guide you. And the more you do that, the better you get at everything. And I can say that looking, you know, looking back over a very long life, a very long career that I also didn't trust myself. And I was almost always wrong when I didn't. So it's important. Um, And then the more you do it, the sharper your instinct gets. So trust yourself. People in your life won't want you to do that, but, uh, but do it anyway. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's, um, it's advice that I appreciate hearing. And I think so many people need to hear. I will go as far as saying, you know, women in particular, because there is a challenge to, if you can't back it up by your brain, if you're saying it's something that you feel in your gut, that's why you're saying no, you might not get um, an understanding response. But in fact, it's enough. It's enough reason to move in a different direction or to say no or to say yes to something. Absolutely. And I think it's also something that women do particularly well. Like we have an instinct, we, we have fun because we, we are capable of doing a lot at one time. And that creates this, that sort of, that's pattern recognition and identification. And that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons I think we are uniquely 
suited to be entrepreneurs and founders. But the business world wants to go a different direction. The business world is about control, about process. And so it'll give you a different idea. But, But really, the best businesses have a a sort of instinct about them, which is about customers and service and community and all of that. And that ten- that's, tends to be more on the feminine side. Of course, you need processes and of course you need data and you need all of that stuff. But that's the easy part, frankly. That's the, the data part. You know, you just get into this flow and that's, um, that's what makes, I think, a, a really beautiful business versus just a business, yeah. you know? Yeah, I love that. And I love that this is going to bring us now right into our fast five. So I'll ask you five questions, just whatever comes to mind. So what's your favorite hack? It's a practice that you're kind of incorporating maybe around poetry, a brand, uh, a book that you're reading, anything that's really kind of hitting you as you are in midlife um, that you'd like to share with our audience. I mean, I, I go to the forest every day or the river, which is right by my house. I just get to a place of nothingness. It almost feels like, and I think this all the time, but I'm out there and it's so beautiful. And I just feel like I'm literally in heaven. Like I've passed on and I'm like a spirit in heaven and I, there's nothingness everywhere. And when I come back, I do this every day. In fact, I will go there right after we're done here. When I leave that, I have this perspective that nothing matters and the only thing that matters is like the things that matter and it really makes me uh pardon my french but unfuckwithable yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) you know what i mean nobody it's an armor but it's also this complete surrender you know it's absolutely vulnerable and yet at the same time absolutely powerful and i and i draw that from nature and from the forest and my connection with that that's a that's a great one and one that we can all do like no excuses right will give you the perspective that you need that you know it's just so vast and beautiful and then what's your favorite ice cream flavor and by the way that's a question that we're asking for the next few podcasts it just coincidentally hits while we're interviewing you That's so funny. Well, it'll be, it'll be interesting because I find that like, um, that people, when they name one of our ice creams, they always say Jenny's in front of it. So let's say Jenny's darkest chocolate, but when they say other ice creams, a lot of times they just say, you know, dark chocolate or whatever. So that'll be interesting. I'll report back. I'll report back. Um, my favorite, the one that I eat, uh, probably a pint a week of is our brown butter almond brittle. It was inspired by Roald Dahl who wrote about his favorite flavor as a child growing up in Norway, but he wrote about it as a grown up, And I read that and made it into ice cream and we started making it in 2009 it's been one of our most popular flavors ever since and I okay and can it. we get access to it in the stores yeah, it's all over it's- okay it's everywhere awesome awesome and then in a few words what is exciting you about this stage in your life what is exciting you about entering into midlife i mean there is no question to me that i am in a full-blown renaissance i am in a in every way possible. I'm in my body. I'm in my power. Uh, I have <laughs> like a pretty strong libido. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm absolutely. Um, I'm dating. Like I'm, I feel so alive and I feel like just new. And, and that's just not what I thought. I thought that women would first of all lose their sexuality, sensuality. That does not happen to me. In fact, it's like intensified. I thought that uh, women would lose their power in many ways we do and we have to claim it it's just not what's happening to me and it's and I look out in the world too and I see other women in this era now it's not happening to them either no we are absolutely in our like goddess mode and uh, and I really just think that we just have to do that we just have to like own yeah. that hundred percent because we have to show younger generations too that like man life is long girls like you know, I've talked to like my 14, almost 15. And I say like, you don't have to hurry anything. Like I'm starting new now and I'm 48. Yeah. You know? Yep. I absolutely, I actually wrote a, a post about that, just about th- if we can claim this time and if we can recognize that there's no hurry, the message that we're sending to our daughters and to those women after us is actually one of extended hope. There isn't this small window Right? Because women are force-fed this idea that life ends after your children grow up and like at this time. And I just don't, I, it's just not right. true. I remember in a conversation we had, you said, like, I look at my grandmothers who you love, but 
at, when they were my age, they looked like they were 70, you know, they really looked like why? Was. Yeah. 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 And that's not the case. And then that's I look at the J-Lo and I'm like, mm, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> if you were mentoring your younger self, this could be the Jenny that started this ice cream empire. What advice would you give her about stepping into her forties? I would say, trust yourself again. I just go back to, you know, the way by the time I got into my forties, I really knew that I needed to kind of reset. I have, I had a very long marriage, 20 years. And we weren't married the whole time, but we were together for a long time. And, and it, and it was wonderful and he's wonderful, but we needed, we were going our own ways. And so again, it's like how many, you know, we had years, we have had a few years where we just like dealt with that. And I knew it earlier. And I think that, you know, again, we can just always use that advice of trust yourself, you know, just trust yourself. Because I look back and I think, you know, I could have trusted myself a few, a few years earlier. I mean, I'm in a great place now. And so is he and, and, and we're great, but better than ever. But that could have probably happened a little earlier too, you know. But again, it's just always for me, like, why am I not trusting that instinct? Yeah. Each year I choose um, like a mantra and a stone that kind of goes with that, that I carry in my pocket. Uh-huh. And for the last couple of years, it's been citrine, which kind of is like light. I like the cleansing sort of aspect of sunlight, but I also like to project sunlight and feel that. Sun kind of became my mantra. But this year, it's um, it's a beautiful little stone or a stone called Bumblebee Jasper. But for me, it represents instinct. So I'm saying all the time in my head, you know the way, you know the way, you know the way. Just take that step in that direction. I love that. Oh my gosh, I love everything about that. But I always have a word, but I like this idea of having something in my pocket that has meaning. That's what I love about, um, just, I mean, studying art, everything has meaning, flowers and yeah. colors and words and everything and textures. But I love that about stones and crystals that they just like, there's this like meaning behind all of them that's assigned to them. It's like a symbol. I don't know that I believe, you know, everything about, you know, crystals can heal arthritis or whatever, but I do think that it helps us manifest what we're kind of looking for. So I'm very much a, um, a what is arranged around me is telling a story yeah. about who I am, whether it's color or stones or, you know, flowers or whatever, everything. I know the meaning behind everything and, uh, and it's always helping me manifest. Well, the intentionality and the repetitive sort of um, thought that you're giving yourself every time you see it or touch it or come into contact with it is, it's gotta be powerful. And then the last question, Jenny, how has starting Jenny's Ice Cream, this company, this I, truly this ice cream empire, how has it liberated you? Well, I, I think that entrepreneurship is freedom. And I, I definitely think that in America, financial freedom is literally the definition of freedom in America. And so even though in my life I made, you know, 30 or $40,000 a year, most of my life, and I make much more than that now, which is great, but most of my life I lived sort of paycheck to paycheck and even on a shoestring. There is wealth in the daily action, your daily actions. And I think as an entrepreneur, even though it's hard and even though some days were 18 hours and, you know, it's been hard, it's been this sort of roller coaster. It's also been mine. And that in itself, is so liberating. And I'm really just so grateful, to be honest, to the 22-year-old me who walked out of class and just decided to go on that journey. I just sometimes wonder about her and like, why were you, why did you do that? (laughs) But I love you and I'm glad you did. (laughs) And what a gift she gave you. And what a gift you have been to us. Thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for walking us down your own road. And we're all going to go out and try this brown butter. Almond brittle. Almond brittle. It's next on our list. Thank you, Jenny. I appreciate it so much. And listeners, we will have all of uh, Jenny's handles so you can check out her awesome good morning stories just like I do and also find a local Jenny's near you and stores that carry what will sure be your favorite ice cream. Thank you so much, Jenny. Yay. Thank you so much. And thanks to everybody for listening. Absolutely. All right, Liberty listeners, we'll be in touch with you guys next week. Take care. Bye. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road 
on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty Road is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flowers.